The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Money starts right now, live from the Nasdaq market site overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lear. Traders on the desk are Pete Najeri and Brian Kelly, Dan Nathan, and Tim <laughs> Seymour. Tonight on Fast, Bitcoin stuck in no man's land at the 6,300 level as fresh concerns over the ICO market sent the crypto space tumbling today. But Wall Street's crypto king and fast money friend Bart Smith of Susquehanna says, ignore all the noise. Bitcoin is not only the best bet in crypto, it's a safe haven. He'll be here to explain. Plus, you're looking at a live shot of Sun Valley, Idaho, where some of the biggest media moguls and tech titans are gathered. It will be a hotbed for M&A talks. We will bring you the very latest from the ground. But first, we start off with the markets and what we are calling the longest yard for stocks. Now, we're not talking about the Burt Reynolds Classic. Oh, we're talking. No, no, we're not. Really we're not. Sorry, flick. we're not. No. We are talking about 2,800 on the S&P 500. Despite notching gains for seven of the last eight sessions, it just can't break through. We've been here before. In fact, the last three times we've been here, the market has sold off. You know what that's called? A fake out. So as we make another run for 2,800, will this be a breakout or a fake out? Pete. Well, I know there's some headline risk going on right now, but I actually would stick with. And you could have been in that movie, by the way, Longest it's, Show. Oh, sure. Oh, football totally. Bill Goldman yeah, was yeah, in yeah, part yeah. two of that whole thing when it came out, a good friend of mine. All no, right. but I'm into breakout. Sorry. And the reason I say that is when I look at what's been going on in the market of late, we've seen a nice movement around the market. It's not just tech. I realize there are specific names that really have pushed the S&P up higher. But the broadness of the different, tech, the different sectors, I think, really makes this a much more interesting market right now. We're getting energy participating. We've got stronger consumers. We've got a lot of different areas and we've got earnings kicking off on Friday. Yeah, but we saw today, I mean, the small caps underperformed tremendously right at the so top again, right? True. About Tech time. underperformed. Maybe it was some Google. True. And then not only that, look at the bond market and look at junk yields. They are not back at lows like you would think they would be at the highs. So, I mean, to me, it's just there's a lot of caution here. I don't think you have to buy this market at 2800. You can wait till it, it proves itself and so breaks out. It's, it's a... a uh, Yanni. Fake out. <laughs> that was like, that, three, that was like two was, months ago, oh, dude. That's oh, so it's a fake out. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I don't know. Yeah, I would just add this. So, so you know, that 2,800 is a kind of a big number, and then the next number is kind of 2,900, which is where we topped out in late January. So, you know, if you're a trader and you want to play for that breakout, you're really going to see the same thing. We're going to be talking about this. If you get up 3%, we're going to be talking about it in a few weeks or a month or two or whatever, or we're going to break out to new highs, that sort of thing. I mean, listen. The, the rally off the lows in March is pretty impressive when you think about it's a series of higher lows and higher highs, and now we're back up at this resistance level. I'll just add this, and when we have technicians come on and they say, I don't care about the news that you're talking about, the fundamentals, and whatever, but we're going into a very important newsy period, which is earnings. So this is why you could see this stalling at 2800 but I don't think it, you know, listen, I just don't think we're making a new so high this a, year. I just so that's a, take a, out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, well, we're, yeah. we're, oh, higher, we're playing a game. Higher I didn't lows. Know that. No, I 
higher lows right here away. as we bump up against yeah. the 2800 mark. Let me, because right? Dan so, for every waffle on getting that fake out <laughs> out there. Let me start right out of the way. I think actually takeout. Um, I no, think wait. or breakout. Whatever. Breakout. Shake down. You busted. This is a song from my Ghostbusters. All right. Breakout. Not that hard, And here's why. First of all, those other three periods where we ran into resistance at 2800 on the on the S&P, I think positioning was very different. Frankly, if you look at CFTC data, actually the the, the spec long positions in S&P futures going into this whatever we're going to call this, I'm calling it breakout, not takeout, um, <laughs> is, is actually significantly lower. In other words, there's been long liquidation. So what does this mean? I think uh, as you look at where uh, the city surprise index came in a couple days ago, so also we're at kind of extreme negativity. I think the market is actually in a different place going into this earnings season than we were going into the last one. Now, I realize you know Trump's heading off to NATO meetings, then off to see Putin, and he's going to talk tough, and headlines could be what they are. I think tactically that would be not out of character right now for this president to go in there and make some some bold statements in, in the next couple of days. But I do think that the market's positioning is what this is about. I'm going breakout. Is it concerning that earnings estimates have been revised gradually higher as we go into this earnings season? As, as somebody who sees this as a potential right. breakout, it's a different setup, I think, than it's going different into setup, but I think the first Pepsi, quarter. Pepsi, perfor the performance today, if oh. that at all is a reflection of what we're going into, I think the breakout is really. It's, it's a bellwether. I know. Well, I know it's it, it, well, but they are. They are. This is a global company. Uh -huh. They've got different lines. Obviously, they've got soda pop. They've got the the, the energy drinks. They got really the snack business. Yeah, they've got all that. This is stock that was down eight percent on the year. No doubt, uh, it was down. You know, at some point, it was down. In. Yeah, it was down twenty. Well, are the expectations lower high right now for financials, for instance? Uh, yeah, Probably low. I, I don't think it would be. I, I, I technology, though, the biggest component of the market. And I think technology will still outperform and still even, beat the numbers at this point high. in time. Yes. Hmm. What do you think? I still think that I'm still more in that we're in range bound, right? The market is still trying to wrestle with this. Is trade war good or bad? If an extended trade war goes on, it's going to be bad. But what if it works? What if we actually get some free trade or we get some more products into China? Then that's going to be extraordinary for earnings. And I think that's the mark what the market's struggling with. So, again, I go back to I don't think you have to rush into this market. You can wait because if it does break out and we have great earnings and we have a great economy and the trade war subsides, you've got a lot more upside. Okay, whether you say breakout or fake out on the overall markets, there are individual names that we want to talk about that have seen some pretty big moves since uh, the S&P 500 bottomed at okay. 2,700 on June 28th. Okay, so the first name here, Wells Fargo. It's up about 6% since then. BK, same rules apply. Breakout or fake out? Take out. Oh, no, wrong, wrong one. Sorry. Tim did that. That's what I do. <laughs> no, it's a fake out. It's a, it's a fake out. I, what concerns me about the financials, one, we have that flattening yield curve. Yes, I know they can outperform on that. But again, the, the junkier part of the bond market is concerning me about the market in general. And obviously, financials are exposed to that. Wells Fargo, in and of itself, has some reputation. Is that the junkier part of the, of the financial market right there? I mean, the Wells, Wells Fargo? Fargo? Yeah. No, not necessarily, but it, it, it can come, it starts there and it can move in. So I'm a little concerned about that. We've already had a move. So to me, it's a fake out. It's interesting to me because if you think about the second quarter earnings, the banks had the best earnings of, of any sector. I mean, they crushed it. And then, you know, guys like you might say, well, look at what they did. They, they languished all quarter really on the back of the yield curve. I, I just think that the fundamental around the banks going into this earnings season, especially we're getting data now on loan growth in the second quarter. It's actually very impressive year over year, up about five and a half percent. I think this is the time people are paying attention to fundamentals and banks. All right, next stock here, Freeport-McMoran. That stock is up seven percent in just the last eight sessions. Tim. 
Yeah, I'm going to go break out on this, and here's why. You know, ultimately, during the last 15 sessions, we actually saw copper go from 330 down to 280, which, by the way, was last year's resistance, and so therefore it became support. I actually think Dr. Copper is going to start to make another move again, but FCX, which has been so closely correlated to a copper move, really outperformed during a very negative copper spot market. I think this is not the company it used to be. By the way, to be clear, I don't love Freeport. But I do think it's going to outperform here. And I think, look at the PPI last night in China. That's very important for your read on commodities. It was hot, and that's good for commodities. Does copper continue to go higher? Because if it does, I think Freeport's absolutely. Yes. Yes. Could make a pretty good break to the upside. My point is I think copper's found resistance. PPI gives me confidence. And Freeport outperformed in a down copper market. And I think it does okay in in an up one for sure. All right. Next stock, Nike. It's up about 9%. Pete. You know, this is a stock. First of all, I think it's breaking out. But I think it's a fake out. And here's why. It's what made a mean. It's made a mean. It's made a huge hold on, hold on. take out. So my opinion is this is going to be a fake out, but it is breaking out. I mean, you look at the chart. This is breaking well, that's out. That answer is a fake out. So I'm saying it's a fake okay. out, and here's why. I sold the stock yesterday. I like what what Nike's doing right now, but I look at the valuation levels, and we all look at all these various metrics, and they're growing. The growth, obviously, international is great. North America a little bit slower, obviously, and that's been the biggest concern. But it's made up that gap. And because of that, trading up here at 78.7, 78, 78, 79, somewhere in that range, you're talking about 27, 28 times. This is a 22, 24 times type stock. I think because of that, it's a fake out. It's going to pull back. I think you'll have a better opportunity closer to seven. Yeah, I think it's a breakout. And I think, again, those numbers we just breakout, got. And it's a real breakout, not a breakout. breakout, breakout not the fake out yeah. that he gave it's to a the fake producer. Out, Somebody breakout. thought he was saying breakout. They faked, he faked him out. It's a breakout. Again, I, I think that level we rallied to is actually the flagpole chart. And uh, that's interesting to me. Last stock here, Biogen, it's up 20%, almost 20%, in a little more than a week. Dan. Yeah, so this thing went from 300 to 370 on a piece of news about some data that an analyst today was calling ambiguous and downgraded it. Um, so you have this 20% news on a piece of uh, uh, data that people can't exactly quantify right now. So I would say it's a bit of a fake out here. Surprise. I'm just saying, I mean, the thing was wallowing I agree with uh, for a while until you got that yeah. news. So, I, you know. It's listen, a real fake out? I think it's a full fake out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, listen. This is phase two, by the worry. way. It's not phase three. This was phase two in terms of what they were doing. And right. some of the numbers were manipulated around in a different way of actually going and, att- and approaching the numbers. That, that makes this whole thing feel like a fake out. And it's a huge move in the stock. I, I tell you what, though. I mean, it, it, that's that's a totally fair statement fine. based upon what Biogen has done over the last you know five years. Effectively, it's been a sideways yeah. play, and I think you guys are right to to be there. Except for I think this Alzheimer's news, while it's not level three, it's not phase three. I think there's you get data in a year, it forces people to make a call on the stock right here and now. And I actually think July, they, they, they actually have to be in the stock, and I think it's not like that stock was that it was not that much of an outsized move considering how little the stock has done over the last five years. All right. Well, it's not just the S&P that's been on fire. The Dow gained 800 points in eight days. Our next guest says there are two names you can still buy, one you should sell. Let's go off the charts with Chris Verone and Strategus Research Partners. Hi, Chris. Hey, Melissa. How are you? Yeah, and exactly. We brought along three names with us today, uh, two longs and one short. We'll start with a long. This is Home Depot. Over the last two years, uh, here's the chart. I think what's important, when you go back two years ago, test the 200, resume higher. Last year, test the 200, resume higher. What's happened here over the last five or six months? We had a 20% drawdown right to the 200. We've held, we've re-accelerated. We've now held the 50. Last tick on this about 197. We think ultimately a 220 target is appropriate. And importantly, Home Depot relative to the S&P 500 is still very much in this uptrend. So the absolute trend is good and relative, it is still a leadership stock here. Uh, let's go to Apple. 
biggest stock in the world, most important name. Um, we think it's okay here. Uh, another name uh, that's right in this 190 range. It's held the 200. It exploded uh, off the 200 back in May. Uh, it's held all the big levels. It made new relative highs only about four or five weeks ago. So we still think this is leadership. Look to maybe a 210 target uh, going forward. And then on the short side, not everything here is perfect. McDonald's does worry us uh, right now. I think most importantly, this is just not a leader. Big relative top uh, versus the S&P made four-month relative lows today. And unlike those other two names, what McDonald's has not been able to do is retake the 200. So you had the 20% drawdown, has not been able to reclaim resistance, though. That's a problem here. We like Home Depot. We like Apple. McDonald's uh, is a sale. Uh, Chris is going to come over. We've got some questions oh. for Chris. Yes, yeah, we do. Come Absolutely. on over, Chris. Michelle will bring the chair in. Thank you, Michelle. Now, Chris, as you know, we have very astute viewers of Fast Money. Yes. And I'm sure people out there saw Carter Braxtonworth yesterday sure. at the Plasma, who talked about Apple and how there was more downside to come. He showed the exact same chart in terms of uh, Apple uh, above and then relative to the S&P 500 below. And then what he also did was he did uh, ex-Apple. And what we saw was real underperformance of Apple, which led him to the conclusion that there is more downside here or there is downside to come for Apple. So what how are you guys looking at the same charts and sure. coming up with so let's completely think different? Sure. Let's think, about pantheon. It, let's think about it this way. They're both in the Pantheon. I mean, so it's the battle of the, the Pantheon. Yeah. OK. Night. We're talking about the biggest stock in the world right now. Right. It has been a source of safety in an otherwise challenging market over the last four or five months. So let's give it some bonus points for that. Right. It's provided a margin of safety. If you look at the bar going into earnings, I think it's very low. The number of analyst buy ratings on Apple right now is the lowest since the lows in 2009. So the analysts are pretty bearish going into numbers uh, in two weeks. I think that sets the stage for this stock to rally. We made new relative highs versus the S&P just four or five weeks ago. That's a stock that still sounds like a leader. I recognize it's paused here the last week or two. I think ultimately that gets resolved higher. So my question is on the relative strength yeah. versus the S&P, it's paused here. If that starts to outperform, is there information embedded in that? Does that mean that people have to own it? If analysts are bearish, yeah. if it starts to be do relatively better than the S&P 500, I would think it's a massive breakout and you get a panic buy. Yeah, I'm, I'm right there. Uh, and I think what's telling about the name is before earnings every quarter, you hear the same stories. Peak iPhone, peak growth, peak margins. Uh, they, they manage a way to surprise on the upside, and I think that's going to be reflected in the price uh, in the weeks and months ahead. But I think when you put this in context of the market, right, largest stock in the world, it's probably not a bearish development for the broader market that you have Apple hanging in here in a relatively challenging tape. We know how bad the headlines have been. The stock's traded well. So last quick question, Chris, yeah. and I'll, I'll kick to you the question I posed to these guys. S&P 500 at near 2,800. Breakout or fake out? It's a breakout. I'll tell you why. We made a 65-day high today on the S&P. It's the first time we've done it uh, since January. I'd put Wells Fargo in that camp. That's quality gotten better. I'd put Freeport uh, in that camp. I'm a little bit skeptical of Biogen here. There's probably some other better names uh, within healthcare. So we went through the whole list there. Look how nicely Chris played the game. Look, I mean, he's yeah. the only guy that played the game, frankly. And it's getting a little tiresome that our guests are better than we are. So, you know, sorry, Thank everybody. you, Chris. Thank Chris Brown Strategas. Coming up, amid all the carnage, Bitcoin is still the best performing large cap coin over the last month. And Wall Street's new king of crypto, Bart Smith of Susquehanna, says it could be a safe haven in the space. Plus, Tesla going all in on China shares rallying after the company said it would build a new plant in Shanghai. And one of the traders says it could be a game changer for the stock. And later, Pete here is bringing the heat with one stock he says could be a summer sizzler for investors. The stock's already up more than 6% in the last week. 
How do you spell giddy up? We're live at the NASDAQ and Times Square. Much more fast. Still ahead. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Fast Money. Tesla striking a deal to build its first auto plant in China today. For more on this, let's get to our own Phil LeBeau in Chicago for the details. Hey, Phil. Uh, Melissa, when this announcement came out today, I immediately heard from people who said, wait a second, hasn't Tesla made an announcement several times in the last couple of years that it's building a plant in China? And that's true. Tesla has done that, or there have been reports that they were close. What's different today is that Elon Musk signing this agreement with the mayor of Shanghai and shaking his hand uh, immediately had people saying, okay, well, maybe this time it is truly going to happen. It's not just a, a commitment, although we should point out this is a memorandum of understanding to build this uh, plant, which could have the capacity for 500,000 vehicles if it ever reaches that point. But there are a lot of questions out there. First of all, local production is unlikely to happen until 2021 at the earliest, and that's if they really get cooking on this plant, more likely 2022, the way things get delayed whenever you're building a new manufacturing plant. What's the cost? Nobody knows. I was talking with a couple of analysts today. They said $5 billion, $6 billion, $7 billion. Nobody knows. It hasn't been outlined yet. Expect that probably to come up in the next couple of months. And finally, will Tesla need to raise capital in order to fund this project? Yes, we know that Elon Musk has said repeatedly the company does not need to raise capital. But should it raise capital, would it give them the cash position, the cushion that they need over the next couple of years as they're building this plant? One other thing. Tesla sold just over 14,000 vehicles in China last year. That's about 14% of its global sales. People have asked me today, well, what kind of a player is Tesla within China? You do see them in the streets of Shanghai and Beijing. But keep in mind, there are about a half million, half million electric vehicles sold in China last year. So Tesla is in a very competitive market. The question is whether or not this plant, when it's finally up and running, whether it's in two, three years from now, how much it will actually help Tesla. And Phil, this could actually mean potentially good things, I would imagine, for some of the other automakers who either want to increase their presence in China or have presence in China, because Tesla right. doesn't need a partner here, and that could mean good things for, for the other companies, too. Exactly, because this is be wholly owned by Tesla. This is a change by the Chinese government. In the past, it was always a requirement that auto manufacturers from foreign countries would have to partner with a local manufacturer. Well, China has changed that requirement, and Tesla's plant is one of the first examples of that. Don't be surprised if we see other automakers making similar moves in the future, because clearly you'd rather own the entire facility than to have a 50-50 joint venture. All right, Phil, thanks. Phil LeBeau in you Chicago bet. for us. So could Tesla's new deal with China be a game changer for Tesla? Tim. I don't think so. I mean, again, you know, this deal was talked about in April when Beijing dropped essentially this requirement that foreign producers had to actually, you know, 
be somewhat owned by the Chinese. I think Phil talked about that the EV market is now almost 500,000, uh, up 82 uh, percent. China demands that all players have at least 10 percent of How their fleet the in issue, EV. Though? Tariff issue. Tariff goes away if they make it in Tariff China. goes away in 2021. Do you think we're really going to be in this environment by then? Look, this doesn't affect U.S. production. I think t Tesla's issues are very much around their mass market production here. I think it's great news, and I think it's nicely timed on the same day that we learn that it's going to be a 40 percent tariff on Tesla. Yeah, I think it's nicely timed, I guess, in terms of a news story. But we spent the last fortnight worrying about whether or not they were going to make it. That's two weeks nice for you people on the metrics. <laughs> is it a stone? Yeah. No, Stones it's two weeks. The days or? Yeah. Anyway, the last fortnight, we worried about how much production they're going to have here in the U.S. That's what's driving the stock today. Not how many cars they're going to build three years from now in this fictional plant that they've announced about 16 times. I think this, and this is a And we don't know they're going to pay for it either. Yeah. yeah. Oh, they don't know how to pay for it, you said. Well, we we don't know how about? it's going to be paid for. It's a company that's got major cash burn. Right. Uh, you know, but, but it's, don't you think they're getting massive incentives? In cash. Hold on. Don't you think they're getting massive incentives from the Chinese government? Uh, whoever they're going to partner with? Look, look at Apple. Foxconn is, gets massive right, incentives. So you're bold up on Tesla here? No. What, what I'm saying is, Tim, well, you've been doing a lot saying? of talking here, bro, and I'm just trying to say that, like, <laughs> listen, there's other ways to think about this. I mean, like... Just look at Foxconn. They employ millions of, of they, they can make 500,000 iPhones a day, okay, with a million workers in China that are there because the Chinese or, government gives them massive incentives to do right. so, okay? So th it's not too different I mean, than probably what's going to go. Well, let's get back to the Tesla story. Do you think <laughs> this is a fundamental game changer for these guys? I think it's great. Listen, they're making Model 3s and tents out in California. I tend to lean so with... So I think the, the idea that they're going to... Is that going to change because three years from now they're going to have a plant in China? I find it interesting because this is the second time today that I've agreed with you and I'm agreeing with you again, which we usually don't have as much, but I Want to but, hug it out? but I'm telling you, I think I think it is interesting because I do think they will get all kinds of deals to be able to get this thing will. built. But let's they're they're still gonna have to put some money into this. One way or the other, they're sure. putting up something. Yeah. And right now at the burn rate that they've got, they've got to figure out how exactly Aren't are the we going to pay? Are the capital markets open to Tesla right now? That's Their stocks at three hundred and twenty dollars. They, they, they certainly will. They be in three years. They'll be able to tap in at any time. The burden of proof is that they're not. The capital markets have been wide open for these guys. Yeah. It's part of the reason why this company is. It's a software company, doing what guys. It's Let's just remember that. All right. Okay. According to the options market, Tesla could be gearing up for some huge moves over the next month. So Dan, what do you see in the action? Well, it's pretty interesting because, um, you know, the implied movement between now and August 3rd, which is the week that they should uh, report their second quarter earnings, is about $40 in the stock. And either way, that's about 12.5%, uh, which is kind of interesting, um, you know, for a stock that's now up 3%. It's had a massive range this year, I guess. You just look at the chart here. We are literally right in the midpoint between 390 on the upside, that was up about 20% of the year, and 245 on the downside, which was down about 20% of the year. There's obviously a pretty, we have this debate on the desk every night here. There's a massive bull bear debate raging. And that's one of the reasons why we've seen option prices really expand a whole heck of a lot, even though the stock is kind of right where it was a year ago. That's implied volatility um, on the price of options for all intents and purposes of uh, Tesla here. And they're rising right now. So obviously, as we head into this Q2 report, I think a lot of investors, just like you guys are talking about, what are they going to say about burn? What are they going to say about raise? What are they going to say uh, further about production? Um, so to me, this is this Bill Bear fight is on. There's 30 percent short interest. We know that. Um, so we can talk about it until we're blue in the face, um, but it's not likely to resolve itself possibly until 2020. Mel, I think the most interesting thing is, but not in the next fortnight, at least. In an yeah. environment where volatility has gone all the way back down to the 12s and you've got a volatility like we see right now in Tesla, it's amazing because those earnings aren't next week. Those earnings are into August, so it's a long ways away.
Uh, Options Action, the full show, is Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Still ahead, where are all the beautiful people? Well, they're eating chilled salad, drinking hot tea in Sun Valley, Idaho, where all the media moguls are gathering to air kiss, potentially talk <laughs> the next big mega deal. We'll tell you how to profit. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC, first in business worldwide. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast. Pete's bringing the heat. Pitching one biotech stock that surged 20% in three months. And he says there's much more to come. He'll give you the name. Plus, as the crypto carnage rages on, one coin has emerged as a safe haven. And we'll tell you which one when Fast Money returns. Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So Brainstorm got too big. Ooh. Summarize with AI in a click. Click, click, click. Writer's block. Release with Canva Magic Write. Magical. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. This episode is brought to you by AARP. Ten years from today, Lisa Schneider will trade in her office job to become the leader of a pack of dogs. As the owner of her own dog rescue, that is. A second act made possible by the reskilling courses Lisa's taking now with AARP to help make sure her income lives as long as she does. And she can finally run with the big dogs. And the small dogs, who just think they're big dogs. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org skills. Welcome back to Fast Money. We want to call your attention to some price action in the market here. As you see here, uh, the S&P 500 ETF uh, is trading lower by about a half a percent. Futures, we should note, are closed for trading. Uh, they open at 6 o'clock. This is moving lower on a Bloomberg headline that President Trump is expected to announce up to $200 billion on fresh tariffs in China. The yen is also moving on this as well. The yen is moving higher against the dollar as a safe haven bid. Um, again, this is a Bloomberg report. It's the only uh, news organization out with this report so far, but we do want to bring this to your attention because we are seeing that move in the SPY as well as in the currency market. So, uh, Yeah, I mean, listen, I talked about the fact that we have this debate here in this, within the market of are tariffs good or bad. Right now, on, if, this is, if this is true, then the market's saying it's bad. The one thing that would get BK all bowled up is that the market reverses on this. If there actually are $200 billion more of tariffs and we reverse and start moving higher, then BK would really like this market. Look, preparing a list for $200 billion is very different than actually going into an investigation. Right. And, and so uh, this process, folks, is, is a very... I would just say involved, and right now we're at 50. Um, if we get to 250, by the way, we're more than half of total Chinese exports into yes. this country. I mean, let's let's be clear. So uh, again, I think uh, the president is intentionally conflating NATO and tariffs and all this stuff as he heads over to Europe and has some very difficult meetings with people um, and showing that he's still playing hardball. Um, and that's what I think. And I think the market also, in terms of positioning and sentiment right now, is in a different place than it was to handle this news. Two months ago. If, if we had, if we had uh, more tariffs, or if we had tariffs on two hundred billion dollars more in goods, again, that that would be half of what we bring in from China That's in total. Right. Is would that officially be a trade war? And would that make your breakout on the S and P five hundred? An elusive dream. It would make it yes. elusive, I think, at least for the time being. But how about the digestion process? I mean, we see that all the time in this as we've gone through this whole tariff back and forth kind of thing. This is a huge number, though. I mean, there's no doubt about it. I mean. If it's really that, if, if that what's being reported is correct, well, the $200 billion, 
Don't you guys think it's fair to say that, you know, the first half of 2018, we saw stock market go sideways. Now, it eked out a slight gain if you're looking at the S&P 500 up a few percent. And that is digesting all the news that we know about these tax cuts that went in place at the end of this, uh, you know, at the end of 2017. So if the back half of 2018 is really digesting hundreds of billions of dollars of global tariffs, mm -hmm. there's a significant potential that that offsets any of the benefits we were expecting in the back half of 2018 right. of the tax cuts. And I'll just say this, we're going to see this on guidance, Q2, what's going on here, how people are projecting. And I don't see any reason why the uh, management should be anything other than cautiously optimistic at best. I want to show the FXI also because we're seeing a move in that ETF, which is the China ETF. Uh, that's down by more than a half a percent. And this continues the decline that we've seen in China uh, on the tariff, on the trade war. It's been, it's been a nice bounce in emerging markets in China over the last four or five sessions. In fact, it really began uh, the day that this stuff became official on July 6th. Emerging markets have rallied 4.5% off lows where they'd underperformed by 15% against the S&P. 15% underperformance and in absolute terms north of 21%. So uh, Pete's right. I mean, look, I think we're all right when we say that if markets actually have to deal with a real $200 billion tariff, that's a very different than, I think, a, an announcement that there could be a list prepared. And, and, you know, look, the impact, if you want to think worst case scenario, which I think was your question, I mean, I think this ultimately puts about 35 or 40 basis points of additional inflation on the global economy, which I think stocks haven't even come close to pricing in. But I do think prices, Danny said, I think in the second half of the year, some of this, I think a lot of this is priced in, frankly. What we know right now of 50 billion, I think is priced in. I think we've heard it from companies for months in the same way that I think by the fourth quarter, a lot of that tax cut got priced in. So I think same that's deal. an interesting in terms of the inflationary pressure on the economy. It's big. Uh, right. We haven't yet priced that in. But isn't that more like a supply shock? We were speaking with Alan Blinder yesterday of Princeton University, and he said that would be more akin to oil prices spiking, where it's not something lasting that the Fed would actually incorporate in terms of deciding what, you know, well, what that's, trajectory But again, that be. goes, are we in a trade war, which is longer term, or a trade skirmish, which is this is just part of the negotiation process. So if this sticks and we have even $250 billion, then yes, that's going to be, you're going to get a stagflationary environment. If it's a one-time shock, then, then we well, probably can get through I just it. want to make sure. I keep hearing that uh, that how much leverage we have over the Chinese, given how much we import and how much we can actually apply as far as tariffs. I'll tell you that I think the Chinese have a ton of leverage into the fall as we head towards the midterm elections. Look at how they have placed their tariffs, who they're targeting. They're targeting it's red stakes. The targeting. Pain. Yeah. So, so to me, I actually don't expect. Any short-term fix this summer, I think this is going to go on until where the Chinese have the most amount of leverage. And let's not forget how much we trade with our allies to the north and the south, our border partners here, about a trillion, almost double what we trade with with China. So to me, this thing is brewing, and I'm not expecting any short-term fix. Still ahead, Bitcoin sinking today, but Wall Street's new king of crypto, Bart Smith of Susquehanna, says it could be the safe haven of the space. He'll explain. Plus, Pete here, stepping up to the plate, getting ready to pitch yeah, the one biotech Come stock on. he says could be a home run for investors. Hey. What is it? The name and much more when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Things were looking so good last week if you're a Bitcoin bull as the cryptocurrency was seemingly on its way back to 7,000. But... The happiness was unfortunately short-lived. Despite the sell-off today, Bitcoin is still outperforming all the other major cryptos today. So why is that, Beeks? What do you think? Well, you've seen a couple things. One, Bitcoin itself has kind of asserted itself 
as the currency here of the internet, right? And that kind of is, theme is starting to pick up a little bit of steam, so people are getting involved in that. I mean, the sell-off today wasn't really much. I think it was probably just more of a, a correction within this. 6,800, really big level for, uh, for Bitcoin. You've seen a lot of sellers pop up there, although I am encouraged we are making lower highs. When you say currency of the internet, what exactly do you mean? So Bitcoin, so the, what Bitcoin was designed to be is a currency. Right. We have all this hype about all these smart contracts and those things are gonna be great. But ultimately, Bitcoin is going to, in my view, be the money of the internet. And so if it's a currency, it's not a security, and it's designed to be that way, and it's getting some improvements, then that should give it value. All right, so what else could be behind the Bitcoin resilience? Bart Smith is the head of digital assets at Susquehanna, but here on Fast Money, we like to call him Wall Street's crypto king. Bart, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Melissa. What's going on with Bitcoin, in your view? Well, I think the, the, the 6,800 level has been important. I think the 5,800 level has been important. We're talking about 2,800s. I guess it's kind of a theme uh, throughout them all. <laughs> but, but if you look at the lows that it bounced off of 5,800 to 6,000, which was a couple weeks ago, that was about the same range it bounced off in April and again in February. And if you go back to late October when they announced the Bitcoin futures, that was the level it was trading at then, right? And so... When the Bitcoin futures got announced, people got very excited about Bitcoin. They got really excited about all these other tokens and, and use cases, smart contracts, decentralized apps. And all of a sudden, you saw these smaller tokens, as people got excited about them, massively outperform. And you know, we got way ahead of ourselves. We, we got into late December and early January. We've been grinding back down here. And we're back at that level where we were before Bitcoin became a, finance, a financial instrument. Right. And so if you're looking at these other use cases, smart contracts, you know, or, or lightning network and all these different technological advancements, I think people are coming to realize those things are very difficult and aren't coming anytime soon. The use case for Bitcoin is valid today, which is it is a it is a you know, the currency of the Internet. I, I would say it's a it's a digital gold. It's a state. You know, it's a it's a and it's a cross border money transfer, which people use. Right. And if, if those are the two use cases today. It's hard to imagine Bitcoin losing that, those two use cases, versus the field. And we are seeing that in terms of businesses being built, particularly in the emerging markets that involve money transfers to get around the lack of bank. There's so many unbanked people out there. So I, I see that in terms of the store of value argument, does it help here that Bitcoin is in fact stabilizing, that it's not skyrocketing, that it's sort of found this range that it's trading at? Because to be a store of value, you'd think that it would have to maintain some value. Well, the interesting thing is, is, as BK always points out, you know, 90 to 95 percent of the volume of crypto happens outside the United States. And in the United States, we trade crypto for dollars. Outside the United States, for the most part, they trade other crypto assets in Bitcoin. Right. So Bitcoin is the, the currency with which you trade other digital assets. So it has become the reserve currency of crypto. And so it, it's not surprising at all. And I think uh, I think that that there's a lot of people out there, BK and I talked to a lot of big investors, who would love to come in and buy it at 5,000 if it gets there. I think that if it were to break 5,800 and then were to break 5,000, I think that would probably make a lot of bulls nervous. So, Bart, what about the futures? You trade a lot of futures. I look at the commitment of traders' reports, tells me who's long, short, net short positions. Are these people betting against Bitcoin, or are they funds and people hedging their Bitcoin position? You know, it's, it's difficult to tell. If you look at the Bitcoin futures, uh, both CME and CFE, they trade basically fair to slightly under, right? And so most people use futures as a hedge, right, in, in its traditional use in ags and, and metals and the like. So is it, is it smaller institutions who are along 30, 50, 100 million dollars of Bitcoin who just want to hedge right now because there's 
really no definitive move up or down? Or is it people who want to bet against Bitcoin who are shorting? It's difficult to really tell. Um, what I would say is that, you know, I think, I think that, that the fact that the volatility is going down, right? It's, it's got a realized vol of 70, right? Which is seven times, you know, more volatile than the S&P 500, but it's down from 140. Volumes are lower, you know, across the board. And that generally to a lot of traders is, is kind of a sense of, is this, is this bear market petering out? And, and if, you, if you want to own the asset that you can actually use today and that people are functionally using, it's, it's Bitcoin. And I think, Melissa, you brought up a great point. You know, there's a lot of people in this world who work in one country and send money back to a different country. And they use Western Union, they use traditional banks. It is slow and it is expensive. Yeah. And, and, and there are people that can stop you from sending that money, whether that's good or bad. In, in, with Bitcoin, I can send money, it's fast, it's cheap. And, and frankly, no one can stop me. Hey, so Bart, those are all use cases. So those are great. It actually is proof of concept if they all work out. You guys are building an infrastructure for institutional clientele to actually buy and sell this sort of stuff. With the price of all these crypto assets where they are, down 70% in a, this massive bear market, and there is no rally. I mean, the rallies are bear market rallies. Are you seeing increased interest from institutions who aren't currently invested in crypto assets? Because to me, that's the thing that breaks it out, ultimately, wider uh, investment thesis for it. So there, there's generally, in kind of in our way of thinking, but there's, there's really four pools of assets around the world, right? There's U.S. retail, there's European retail, there's Asian retail, and then there's global institutional. There's really only one player in the Bitcoin space and crypto space right now. That's the Asian retail, and they're, they're, they're driving the bus in that case. There's a little bit in the U.S., but it's small compared to those others. If one of those areas were to get tapped, like institutional, absolutely. It's a humongous flow of money. It'll drive the prices higher. I think there's a lot of plumbing that needs to happen. I think we're not even really sure what regulatory agency is going to have jurisdiction over that. And so I think, I think people feel like at any point in time they can jump in on the futures. And, and so when there's clarity or when they feel a little bit better about it, they will. But there, there needs to be some impetus. And, you know, I said this last time I was on the show, and it just seems to be bouncing around 6,000 to 6,800. It kind of gets to 6,800, runs out of steam. It gets down to 6,000. People feel like it's a little bit oversold. And, you know, eventually it's going to break out of that range. And I think that'll be the indicator of if, if new money is going to come in. Bart, thanks for coming by again. Thanks. Bart Smith of Susquehanna. What do you see on Bitcoin here at these well, levels? Uh, Dan brings up a good point, And Bart is reiterating the fact that, you know, for example, in emerging markets in 2001, we wanted to see non-dedicated money come into the asset class. I didn't want the, the local Russian guys or the local Chinese guys or Brazilians. So I, I think that's a very big story. And I think that you're getting new institutional money. I, these guys are closer to the front line on that. Um, but it, it, it does seem like we're testing a level. Uh, I don't necessarily believe in the cost of mining Bitcoin being a base. I do believe that this charts are telling you something. And I do think it's important that we're back at that pre-futures level. You trade around Bitcoin levels, I would yeah. imagine. You're not yes. always fully 100% invested. No. So where are you right now? And what levels would cause you to say, you know what, I'm going going for in for more? So we are probably about 95% long. Uh, most of it's Bitcoin and Ethereum is our biggest positions right now. If we break through uh, 6,800, I'd be very bullish. In the last month, what we've seen is these rallies, yes, they've sold off, but they haven't sold off as violently. And as Bart mentioned, you haven't seen uh, a lot of volume on the sell-offs in the last month. So again, you know, I could be grasping at straws as a Bitcoin bull, but it does appear that the character of the market is changing. Below 5,000, I'd get very concerned, uh, particularly if we had a grinding bull market below that. Still ahead, media moguls and tech titans embarking on beautiful Sun Valley, Idaho as we speak. What will they talk about? We have got some clues. Plus, Pete has made his way over to the plasma, warming up to pitch one biotech stock that is up 
20% in the last month. The name and what has him so bullish when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money Time for everyone's favorite game, the fast pitch. Pete's over at the Plaza with the one big biotech stock he thinks is about to break out. So, Pete, give us your next home run idea. All right, here, here it starts off. You always look for the top. You want to see what the leadership really looks like. The leadership here is phenomenal. Started in the investment banking world and then came over to Amgen, worked his way up from 2006 all the way till now, became the CEO in 2012. This is a guy who's absolutely understands not only the markets, but what's going on in the biotech world. So I think the leadership really stands out for me. That's really important. If you look at the fundamental story of this company right now, I always like to look at the, some of these buybacks. This isn't something that was done just the last couple of years. In the last decade, they have bought back over 30% of their outstanding shares. That tells me a lot. They also have an incredible dividend yield. I like what I see there as well. So when I look across and I look for different areas within the fundamental side of what this company is doing, it's incredible. Then I want to go towards growth. The earnings growth has been spectacular, but forget that for just one moment. I'm going to go back 10 years ago. They were actually earning $3.90. Now they're earning $13.70. That tells me a lot about this company. And oh, by the way, just had some buying the other day in the options. So I bought the stock just yesterday. I like this company. I like the direction they're going. I like the growth strategy that they've gone with. They got a great pipeline and they've got some massive drugs. And by the way, if you want to be U.S. centric, 80% of their revenue come from the United States. So I like just about everything that I'm seeing from Amgen right now. Hey, Pete, BK yeah. here. I have a question about the buybacks and the dividends. Yes. So I know they have a great growth strategy, but doesn't it concern you that they can't find anything better to do with that capital than to pay a dividend and to, pay a, and to buy the stock back? No, 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 that doesn't bother me at all because I think what they're doing is they're shareholder friendly. And oh, by the way, one thing I didn't mention, Annually, $11 billion in cash flows. So this is a company, they can look around, they can look for acquisitions if they'd like to, but I really like what they're doing in terms of taking hold of the shareholders first. All right, time to vote. No more questions here. Are you buying or selling Pete's pitch on Amgen? Tim Seymour, what do you say? Pete, I'm a buyer. I'm long the name. I actually think the company is kicking it, and I don't, I'm not as concerned about the pricing pressures on some of the key, you know, some of the key drugs, including the stuff with Regeneron. So, yes, buy. There you go. Dan? Uh, sold to Pete. Great story. Where was okay. he two months ago when the stock was, uh, I don't know, 165? Thanks a lot. Pete. That should be your ringtone, that sound. Um, <laughs> BK. You know what? I'm a buyer with Pete, a company nice, that can buy back stock and have a growth strategy BK likes. All nice. right. Two buys, one sell from Dan, of course. The desk will spoke it. It's your turn now. Would you buy Pete's pitch on Amgen? Vote now in our Twitter poll. We will reveal the results later on in the show. Plus, the world's top media moguls and tech titans are ascending on beautiful Sun Valley, and our own Julia Borson is there with the toughest assignment of the day. Hi, Julia. <laughs> Hi, Melissa. That's right. All of the billionaires and media moguls are jetting in and pulling into the Sun Valley Lodge here behind me. We'll tell you what deals are in the spotlight this year coming up after the break. Welcome back to Fast Money. No carbs, purified water and potential mega deals, all subjects that could come up as the world's media moguls and tech titans arrive at this year's Sun Valley Conference. Our own Julia Borson is live there to break down what we can expect. Hi, Julia. Hi, Melissa. Well, all the heavy hitters are starting to arrive. And of course, no deal is in more focus 
than Fox and the battle for those Fox Entertainment assets. We already saw Rupert Murdoch arrive. He'll be joined by his sons, Lachlan and James Murdoch. The big question is what Comcast CEO Brian Roberts, who we also saw come in earlier, is planning in terms of a higher bid for Fox. We have not seen Disney's CEO Bob Iger yet, but we are expecting him to be here. Now, in the middle of more deal chatter, CBS and Viacom, the controlling shareholder of both of those companies, Sherry Redstone, has already arrived. We haven't yet seen Les Moonves, but he is expected here. Of course, here he and Redstone are locked in a legal battle over those two companies' future. And we spoke to AOL founder and CEO of Revolution, Steve Case. He told us he expects many more deals. This time, the buyers could be the tech giants such as Apple and Amazon. We announced the AOL Time Warner merger almost 20 years ago, 19 years ago. And some of the things we were talking about then are now happening in terms of streaming and other kinds of things. So I'm not surprised that there's another round of kind of big mergers where companies are trying to position themselves for a future where consumers are going to have more choice and more control. Another company that could be a seller, Discovery. Discovery CEO David Zaslav is here. He talked about the advantages of merging to a crowd of reporters here. It just uh, opens up a real opportunity for more consolidation. And when you put on top of that Disney's approval in kind of record time on the Fox deal, I mean, it still has a ways to go. But the fact that the deal, that the deal was approved by the government so quickly, I think just as a signal that, uh, that if you want to acquire something or if you want to be acquired, that uh, it's a bit of uh, an open opportunity. With all of that eagerness to merge, it was interesting that Steve Case pointed out that there are also risks, that there could be big cultural differences between companies as there were with Time Warner and AOL back in the day. So we'll have to see how the AT&T Time Warner deal plays out. Of course, both of those CEOs are also expected here. Guys, back over to you. All right, Julia, thanks. Wow, AOL, TWX, looks <laughs> like a lifetime ago. Uh, speaking of the urge to merge, we thought we'd play a little matchmaker here media style of course each of our traders will pick two names they think would be a perfect match so pete is going to kick things off i'll start it off with amazon because they're always buying somebody they're always going to a different area and i think they're going to go after lionsgate lionsgate when you look at the market cap it's pretty small i think it actually makes a lot of sense there's already partnership deals involved with stars and they've got the film they've got the television they've got the distribution they've got a lot of different reasons why this could make a lot of sense i think doesn't mean it's going to happen, but if I'm playing the game, I think this could happen. So, Pete, I, I agree that Lionsgate is the perfect content acquisition. Michael yeah. Burns has done a great job, friend of our show. Um, why doesn't Amazon try to do this themselves, though? Yeah. I mean, they've, they've watched. This is also what Amazon does. I think it just speeds things up because of the fact that they've already got this great infrastructure set up in terms of distribution. Because right now, Amazon, when they distribute, distribute they actually go through Lionsgate mm -hmm. at this point in time. All right, Beeks, your match. Stuff. Well, for me, it might sound a little unconventional, but I think that Disney should buy Activision. I, I mean, I actually think that Disney should buy any of the game makers. That's you think about call. it. You did there. These are the new, these are the new movies. That. Think about it. You have a great game. You could have a whole park just on one game. Yeah, or ESPN, right? Sports there you go. Sports, exactly. E-gaming, e e-sports. I like Disney. 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 And I think it's, it's a creative, and obviously with all of Disney's characters and all of their established content, I think it's a great way to get on the cutting edge of really where content is going. It's interactive. Good for you, BK. Dan, what's your pairing? Uh, mine would be Netflix buying Spotify. This is something I've talked about before in the past. I mean, I, obviously Netflix um, is the leader as far as video is concerned. I think audio is a really important space, and I think that's obviously what Spotify has been able to carve out in a way that Apple Music has not been able to do. Amazon has not really been able to do it. Google has not been able to do it. And I think ultimately Netflix, with a $180 billion market cap, they should use that currency and buy another really inflated 
uh, company's currency, and that'd be Spotify. All right. Up next, final trades. This is a first. It is a dead heat, 50-50. So we looked at the bylaws. It reverts back to the desk when the count uh, was two for Pete and one cell, which was from Dan. So Pete is having the time of his life. Having a heck of a time. All right. I don't know if this is fair. It's in the bylaws of the show. We looked. All right. I, I, trust me, there are bylaws of the show, <laughs> yeah. and that's what they said. So okay, Pete wins. You're in final, tra- final. Tra- that's right. I'm in charge. In charge. Final yeah. trade to the winner. Party Pete. this weekend. I'll party tonight. Constellation Brands will oh, get you done. Giddy up, up STZ. Okay. Oh, baby. Party too much. You're gonna need some staples. XLP. Oh. You buy that one. Dan. Uh, IWM BK said double top seller. Tim. I'm gonna party with Pete on nice. Amgen. Okay. Boy. All right. I'm Melissa Lee. Thanks for watching. Mad Money starts right now. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.